0: chapter 4. It's good to see so many young people here. Is anybody up under 70? <laughs> but uh, especially the teenagers. It's always good to see young faces out there in the crowd. The upcoming generation. So that is cool to see you guys and girls out here. I think God has a lot in store for you this school year, you young people. He wants to use you in a mighty way in a dark, dark, Christ-rejecting school system that a lot of you are in. So keep walking with the Lord, young people, and let's see what God's going to do this year in the school system. I'm excited to see and hear some of the things that God will accomplish this year through you. And adults, just keep these young people in prayer just for you. I think God wants to do a lot of things. And Pastor Joe uh, prayed for our college students. Just let's keep remembering them. Because there are campuses where there's a lot of philosophy and things going on where God's name is not lifted up. May they be the lights in a dark, dark place. Like Pastor Joe's teaching in John, it just takes a little light to dispel darkness. So you don't need a lot of people on campus. campus. One in Jesus is more than enough. Amen? Okay, let's, uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 4 tonight, but let's just go back to chapter 3, verse 27. I just want to read that just as sort of a refresher to jump into Romans chapter 4. Where is boasting in? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, if you've been following along in Romans, the circumcised are referring to the Jewish believers. The uncircumcised are the Gentiles. So, if you're here tonight and you don't have any Jewish blood in it, you're a Gentile. Okay, so you have to remember the Jewish people looked at Gentiles as sinners that couldn't go to heaven. So you have to remember that Paul is addressing this issue. And Paul was a pretty cool guy. He wasn't swayed by public opinion. He was God's man. He didn't look for the approval of people, nor should you or I. We should be ones who just look for God's approval. But understand when you do that, you go against the flow. Even in church, even in religious circles, you could be looked upon as the oddball because you're following the Lord. Now, a great thing is, there's a lot of oddballs in this church, but we're all the same mind. Okay? we're all together on that. So that's a good thing. Odd is good when it goes against the flow of the world systems contrary to Jesus. Okay, let's go into chapter 4, where Paul is continuing, and he's talked about being justified by faith in the first few chapters. He's shown that everyone sinned. No one is perfect. We all fall short of God's perfect standards. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it applies to both. Because you were born a Jew or because you were born a Gentile, everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. And he's trying to make this point to the world that's here in this message, but especially to Judaism. Because they have, they're locked in their ways, they're locked in their traditions. But you and I can be locked in our traditions also. Right here at Calvin, we can be locked in. People, how many of us, and just be honest with yourself, I don't want to show hands or call out answers, but how many of us, if a certain person walks in the door, let's take this one example. A guy walks in here with a three-piece suit on, all decked out. Now, how many of us say, Oh my goodness, look at this guy. He's dressed to the hell. Where does he think he is? Now let's go to the other extreme. Let's have the person who comes in here, a young person comes in, and they got piercings all over their body. Tattoos all over the place. And how many of us say, Oh man, look at that young person. they got to be really messed up. Look at how they're tattooed. Look at the piercings. Now both extremes could be totally on fire for the Lord. But yet, what do we do? We make that judgment call based on how they look. And our God says, he doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And Paul's trying to address the same type of stuff that's going on in his world. Okay, let's take a look at Romans 4, first few verses, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Now, who does Paul bring in? He brings in a heavy hitter. He brings in top dog in, the Judaism, uh, in Judaism. Abraham. He's like one of the top guys that people look to. You know? If I sit, if you think of some American that comes to mind, just a famous American over the history of the United States, some of you might be thinking of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. You know, well, this was the guy that they thought of. He was revered in their religion, in their beliefs. So he was like a model for them. So, how smart is Paul? Remember, he has that legal mind, like a lawyer. He brings in now what we're seeing in the first three chapters. He's talking about grace and works. And now in chapter four, he's getting down to some examples for us. He's putting some flesh and blood on the examples that he set up that he was teaching about in the first three chapters. So here's Abraham. And basically he's saying, what did Abraham find out in his walk with the Lord? What was going on in Abraham's life? And we hold him at such a high standard. Well, in this verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about. But what we just read in verse in chapter 3 is no one can boast about anything. Because all of us fall short. Sure. Now, if you've ever read about the life of Abraham, he wasn't a perfect man. He made mistakes. He sinned. But yet, there was something that he did do that you and I had done. That is, we believe. We have faith in a living God. And just like that faith of Abraham, you and I have that same faith. And we're counted righteous because of the same faith that Abraham had. Not in anything he did. And it's so sad today. So many religions you have to do in order to try to gain God's favor. You might have to travel to the Middle East once in your lifetime. To visit a shrine. Or you might have to pray three, four, five times a day. See, we don't have to do any of that. We get to talk to God 24-7-365. We get to read His Word. We get to cast our cares upon Him. We get to fellowship. We, We can do these things. These are free will choices that we make. We don't have to do any of it. It helps us, of course, right, with our growth, with our walk with the Lord when we fellowship with one another. But we don't have to do it. It's not something we're obligated to do. We get to do it. And what a difference that makes, right? It frees us up, doesn't it? To walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth rather than through a legalistic system. Now, it says here in verse 3 Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. A right standing before God. If you're a believer here tonight, you have a right standing before God. You can relate to God just like Abraham did. Abraham was called a friend of God. You're a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. How cool is that? And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In your life, is that true? Is that something that you've come to see in Jesus Christ? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And how do you find out who your friends are? What does it normally take? Trials, tribulation, adversity. right before you really find out the quality, the character of friendship? How many of us, through trials, tribulations, hardships, have found out how much of friend we have in Jesus? He's awesome. Now, verse 4 says, To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And all of us, most of us work, right? We work 9 to 5 or 8 to 4, whatever it is, whatever your hours are, and you get a wage for it. You're expected. They owe you money for the time that you put in. We, as human beings, have to be very, very careful that we don't fall into that mentality with our walk with Jesus Christ. Because then we fall back into legalism, which Paul is trying to point out to the Jewish nation. See, they're so locked up into legalism that we have to be careful. See, we become legalistic when we say that God will sue when a young person with the tattoos. We're thinking with a legalistic mind. We're not thinking with the mind of Christ. And that hinders our relationship with those very people that we're looking at. Verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now look what Paul does. Takes Abraham. Now Abraham is all over the Bible. Over 300 times in the Bible Abraham's name is mentioned. In the New Testament alone, it's mentioned 74 times. So you talk about a superstar of the faith. Abraham is right up there with Moses. And now look who Paul brings in. David. Now, just like we can relate to Abraham and his faith in God, we can relate to David. And there's a couple ways I want to tie in David and Abraham with you and me. David was the king, the most famous king that Israel ever had. We know him as a young boy writing his Psalms. We know him as the teenager who slew Goliath. We know of his good things and his bad things. We know of his affair with Bathsheba, his murdering Uriah, his trying to hide out for a year before Nathan the prophet confronted him. And he wrote Psalm 51 as a result of that confrontation. See, we can relate to these real people like Abraham and David, can't we? We can relate to their love of God, but also their sin and mistakes and the wrong choices that they make. So here Paul takes the top two guys, or at least the top two of the three. I think of Abraham, I think of David, I think of Moses, you know? Old Testament, top three. So here now he comes to David. Now Abraham, remember, wasn't under the law, okay? Where David had the law. Okay, so think of things that might have been going on. We're going to look a little more at Abraham. But Abraham had to leave his home. He was a wanderer. Throughout throughout his whole lifetime. How does that relate to you and to me? God tells you and me that we're pilgrims passing through this earth. That not to hold on too hard to the things that we have, because in a moment they can be gone. But rather, what? Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. That can't rust or be stolen away. Are we looking at things with the proper perspective like that? Are you and I sworn of things? Are we like Abraham, where he tells us to leave? To leave the things where we really feel at home with. And take that opportunity to walk with Jesus and through His Spirit to see where He's going to bring it. David the king. Notice how David says in verses 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute or credit sin. David knew God's forgiveness. He knew himself to be a sinner, even though he was a king. See, his kingship did not get David into good standing with the Lord. It was his repentant heart. He was a man after God's own heart. He knew when he messed up, he needed to get right with God. He had a heart after God. Many of you, it's evident since I know you, you have a heart after God. You want more of God. You can never get enough of Him. You can see it in your attitude. He shines through your faces. And I know some of you here might be struggling and yet say, well, if I can only get to that point, you can, but you do to let go. As Pastor Paul was pointing, it's a surrender. You've got to just surrender your life and allow God to do the work He wants in your heart. It was smart. How did you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? By faith. How do you walk with Him every day? By that same thing. Seems simple. There's a word we use in coaching the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. The simpler it is, the easier it is to just do it. By trying, by really working, it gets difficult. And that's in your walk, in my walk with the Lord. Okay, down to verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised only? Now the question that they're asking, remember, the circumcised are the Jews, the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. And Paul is asking the question, does this blessedness, does this righteousness by faith come upon only the Jews? Or upon the Gentiles also. As we continue, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? See, Paul is trying to make the argument well, you know, Abraham, who we put right up there in the top three. Was he he circumcised before or after he was accounted righteous? That's a big, big question.
1: And this is what
0: Paul is attacking to try to show the Jews who revere Abraham that they need to reconsider their thinking. And as we continue. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, it was accounted, he was accounted as righteous. It's while he was uncircumcised that his faith was counted as righteousness. That is massive. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Now watch this. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed, remember that word impute is credit, to them also. And in verse 12, the father of circumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also walked in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Huh? Okay, here's basically all that's happened Abraham believed God 13 years approximately before he actually was circumcised. So when he believed God and what God had promised him to do in Abraham's life, Abraham believed that. And as a result of Abraham's faith, he was righteous in God's eyes. Now remember, Lazarus and the rich man in the New Testament. Lazarus was the man who would go begging for food. At the table of the rich man. And he leaked the crumbs that fell from the table and they both died. And they both went to Hades. And at that time Hades had two compartments. No offense to the side. This was the side of Hades that was punishment. This is the side that rejected God. Then there was a great gulf between the two sides, and over this side were all the people, Adam, and Eve, and Abel, all the Old Testament saints that believed in the promises of God and because of their promises, or I'm sorry, because of their faith, it was counted to them as righteous. So when they died, before Jesus came and died on the cross, they went to a place called Hades, the safe side, the unsafe side. Big gulf between This group is in tremendous pain and suffering because they rejected the promises of God. This sign was still clinging to the promises of God, and Abraham was one of those guys. And when the rich man called across the Gulf, Abraham was the one who had a conversation with the rich man who died in his sins. So Abraham was alive when he died. Today, because of Jesus' death on the cross and going into the earth and setting the captives who believed in the promises of God free and took them to heaven with the thief on the cross, who he said, today, Mr. Thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. So they were joined in heaven together. Now, the rich men and all those people who rejected God are in that place today that we know is hell. And one day they'll be standing at the white throne judgment and be thrown into the of fire with the devil and his angels. But the point is, the faith in the living God of the Old Testament, God credited to righteousness to them until the time of the promise to be fulfilled when Jesus, God himself, would come to earth go to a cross, die for the sins of the world, be buried, be resurrected, eventually send to heaven. So we believe, like those people, we we can look back 2,000 years, we can look back 6,000 years into the Old Testament history, and we see all those things. But you know what? Just like Abraham and all those people who were on Abraham's side, we look forward to the promises of God, that are going to happen one day. And we're going to see the fulfillment of those. We're going to be those people that are saved through our faith in what Jesus did. How awesome is that that we live at a time that we can look back in history to the archaeological, the historical, the prophetical evidence of things that happened. And think of these people that didn't have all those things that you and I have today that's still believed. We can relate to that belief, though. Because there's still things that we don't know that's going to happen in the future, right? But we believe. We believe in a God that is a God of His Word. And will fulfill His Word. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> what person is mine, guys? 13. 13. Yeah. Thank you. So... What is Paul showing? He's showing that those who were uncircumcised, like he was, can be saved through faith in the living God. But at the same time, Abraham, 13 years later, becomes circumcised. So he's a father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. He's covered both sides. So by the same faith that Abraham had, while uncircumcised, people that are the Jewish nation, by the same faith that Abraham had in the living God, can be saved the same way. There's no distinction. You don't have to go through those acts of circumcision. And the problem, I mean, think of think of us today. No female could ever go to heaven. If it was all based on the physical act of circumcision, well, we read in the New Testament that it's a spiritual circumcision. It's a circumcision of your heart before the Lord. It's not a physical act. None of us get out of the coast. Our children don't go to heaven because we're going in. It's their own individual choice. Right? You have to have an individual decision to follow Jesus. Okay, verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Remember, that law is used. How that law come in? Remember, the law just leads us to the Savior. The law shows us that we're sinners. Verse 14. Or the end of verse 13. But through the righteousness of faith, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and a promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, not just the Jewish nation, but many nations, which include the Gentiles, in the presence of him whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be and not being weak in faith he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Now we're going to, uh, when we go to wrap up, we'll come back to the last several verses of chapter 4. But I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. I'm oh, sorry, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Okay, now I just want to lead into where I'm going with Acts chapter 10. In the book of Galatians, there's a situation that takes place between Peter and Paul. Okay, and it says, when Peter had come to Antioch, I, Paul, was stood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles and when they came, he would go and separate himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We, who are Jews by nature, are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing That a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Paul is reprimanding Peter, who was acting one way with the Jews and another way for the Gentiles, and it was stumbling the Gentiles. And also some of the Jews, like Peter, why are you acting this way with the Jewish people and this way with the Gentiles? Why do the Being legalistic with the Jews and full of grace with the Gentiles. What's going on here? So Paul confronted him. See, remember, Peter was one of the original apostles. Paul was not. Remember, Paul wasn't following Jesus when the apostles were. It was years later, when he was on the road to Damascus, that he was confronted with the risen Christ. Just like you and I have been confronted with the risen Christ. We weren't there with Jesus, but he's confronting you and I. Every day he's trying to confront us. Every day he's trying to grab more of our hearts. So we do have that surrender. So now, in Acts, where I ask you to turn to, Peter is given a vision. And one of the things of the vision that God's trying to show is to break down the traditions that Peter was following. Things in the law that was keeping Peter um, from growing in the mercy and grace of God, especially in his teaching others about God's love and mercy and grace. So what we have in, in this vision is I'm um, going to read a little bit of it, starting with verse 9. The next day, as he went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill me. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what with his vision was, was which he had, what it meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house. And it goes on, the rest of the chapter just goes on about how the Lord was setting up to show Peter that once God makes something clean, it's clean. He was showing Peter that the things he used to not eat because it was under the legal law were okay to eat them. But what he was relating it to was the Gentiles. The Gentiles that were going to be grafted in to believe in the risen Savior. And he was using this. And the cool part, as we turn to the last section we're going to look at before we tie it up, is Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 6. Now, I've chosen, this is the third reading we will look at, but understand what's happening. Paul confronts Peter. Peter has a vision. And now later on, we're looking at this, these verses in chapter 15, beginning with verse 6. And basically what happened is there are certain men that are coming from Judea teaching the followers of God. And there's a conflict that comes up again between the circumcision and the uncircumcised. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. There's a conflict that comes up. So now in verse 6, we're going to pick up what's going on. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. What matter? The matter of circumcision and uncircumcision. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Notice it's the Gentiles. Verse 8. So God who knows the heart acknowledged Him by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? For we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitudes kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. How awesome is it that after that conflict between Paul and Peter, Peter is now coming to the defense of Paul leading into this argument and turns it back over to Paul. How good of a friend is it that can confront you to your face and you can still continue to be friends? That's awesome. May we have such friends. May we find such friends right here in this body that will tell us like it is and we can just grow in the grace of knowledge and go together with our brothers and sisters. Okay, let's close now going back to Romans chapter 4 and picking up with verse 18. Speaking of Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was about 10 years younger. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. How many of us have wavered in our faith because of unbelief? The first that we need to hold on to is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I I don't think any of us are where we need to be, right, with our belief in Jesus. Is that an accurate statement, you think? In other words, we all still want to grow in our faith. How do we know how strong our faith is? Let's see the next time we're testing. Right? How we handle it. Could be in a few minutes. Could be tomorrow. Abraham, in verse 20, did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do we believe that the promises of God are for us today like they were to Abraham and David and Moses and all the saints of the Old Testament? I believe yes. I believe that every day we wake up is another day our faith is tested and strengthened. And we know the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. So as we come to church, as we have our daily reading of God's word, we're getting stronger in our faith. Now, why do we need to get stronger in our faith? Why? You need strength for things that are coming. You know, we mentioned Dan and Russell. They didn't expect that. They didn't expect the husband, the dad to be with the Lord today. Hopefully their faith is going to get them through this time. Think of the faith of Maria as Pastor Joe shared things that she wanted to convey to her loved ones. She knew where she was going. She had faith. She now realizes, in actuality, all those years she walked like you and I did, that her faith was real. She's in the presence of Jesus. She sees she's in heaven. How awesome is that? She's in heaven. Totally different perspective. Verse 22. And therefore it was accounted to him, for righteousness, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. I love this part, verse 24, but also for us. It was not written for his sake alone that it was credited to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed or credited to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses. Right? If we could be saved through the law, Jesus wasted his time going to the cross. Right? If we could be saved by following the law, Jesus wasted his time. But we can't be saved through the law because we break the law. We're lawbreakers. So Jesus came down, He died on the cross and shed his blood for our righteousness. When we believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done, we're saved because of what he did. He is our righteousness and is credited to us. And the stamp of approval... He was raised because of our justification. Remember, justification is just as if you've never sinned. Think about that—just as if you've never sinned. But then, you ask, just as if you've never sinned, God looks at you. You're clothed in the robe of righteousness that God gives you as a result of your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And God looks at you and sees perfection. I don't see that looking out there. But who cares? You don't care what I see. God sees you clothed in a robe of righteousness, paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to finish with this thought. Today you're here, and I want you to think of what took place back in verse 17. The second part of the verse, where it says, Who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Are you here tonight? Younger people, middle-aged, older people, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your age. Are you here tonight and you feel dead? Dead. Do you feel as if you're not being used by God? Do you feel like you're just wandering in no man's land? Well, take encouragement tonight. That just like Abraham, who was a man of faith, left his home. His father passed away. He kept moving in the direction God headed him. He was always ready to pick up his tent and move. From a spiritual standpoint, maybe God is saying to you, spiritually speaking, pick up your tent and move in my direction. Draw closer to me so I can give you the living water and that abundant life that right now you feel dead. And I want to encourage all of you. I don't care. There's no age limit in God's kingdom. There's no age you're all young pups in eternity. Doesn't matter. But here's the thing. Take advantage of what God wants to do to you today. Don't wait till your are 20s or 30s. And don't say if you're older, oh, God used me in my 20s and 30s. He can't use me anymore. That is a lie of the enemy. This dude was 100 years old, Abraham. Caleb was 80 years old, he was still using them, and he used teenagers, he used David and Mary and those young bucks. He used them lightly. He wants to use you the same way. How do we know that? Because it's the same faith that Abraham had, it's the same faith that David had, it's the same faith that you have. It's in the risen Savior, and through him we can do all things. There's nothing impossible if we're doing it in Christ and in His will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that you wrote this word not only for the people in the past, but the people that are present here today and the people in the future. Lord, I pray for each person here that they will feel an assurance of their salvation, that they will feel secure in you. I pray that if there's anybody here tonight, or even if you're listening on the internet, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. For you, it's today. So if you are here tonight, and I'm just going to ask anybody, Everybody here that's just following Jesus, just to pray for barriers to be broken down, for our hearts to be free. That if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've never ever accepted Him, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand real quick and put it down if you want to start that great adventure with Jesus. Is there anybody?
1: And as we continue to pray, is there anybody here
0: that just wants to rededicate their life to the Lord, that wants to begin again, a fresh start? Just slip up your hand and put it down. And we'll pray for you. Anyone. Praise God.